before I start, uh, there's this uh, seminar coming up with Al Larson uh, in a couple weeks, and, and I would encourage you, if you're so inclined, to be open to being inclined, to check that out. Um, he has got some significant things to say that have uh, helped a lot of people. I've known Al for about five years, and we work together in a couple of things. We're right now working together on putting some of his ideas in a book, and um, I, I think that some of you might find it very helpful and informative. I want to continue our study on the book of Ephesians uh, this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. But I'll tell you up front that I'm going to take a little bit of an excursus. And those of you who have been around here very long will not be too surprised with that maneuver. Um, but you should know it at the start. God's been using this series here um, to really do some cool things. Uh, just... Um, I mean, the bottom line of ministry, the bottom line for what kingdom is all about, the paycheck for being a Christian is not just the individual salvation stuff, but it's when you make a difference in someone else's life. What I've been seeing in the last you know, four weeks or so is uh, just a lot of people being changed. A lot of people being changed. Sometimes in real small ways, but in a lot of times in some real big ways. Seeing a lot of middle-of-the-road types becoming a little bit radical. In fact, becoming a lot radical. It's getting scary how radical some people are, are, are getting. And we're talking about just really beginning to live out the kingdom in terms of donating time, donating money, donating energy, donating emotion into the lives of other people. And that's really cool stuff. People beginning to take seriously this spiritual warfare business. I had a call from someone just uh, about a week ago, I guess it was, who was doing a deliverance. On somebody. He started was talking with somebody and one thing led to another and before you know it, they're praying for deliverance with them. And we're talking very New Testament-like sorts of deliverance stuff. And that can be kind of freaky to a lot of people. It makes you worried maybe a little bit. It violates our Western categories. But it's kingdom stuff. It's biblical stuff. And if it's biblical stuff, it's got to be our stuff. We can't be afraid of that. And it's happening. And that's good news. I think you start flushing demons out. That's good news. I mean, it, it gets a little weird, but, but it's good news. They were there anyways. Why ignore them? Well, hey, kingdom stuff. God's been uh, dealing with me in some interesting ways, too. I just want to tell you about that. It's, it's, uh, most of what I ever preach up here is a, it's sort of just, and maybe this is kind of my calling, but sort of let you know what God's been teaching me. You want to listen in on a conversation. It, it almost feels like that sometimes. And the Lord's just been sort of uh, doing some stuff with me getting me tremendously excited. I, I get so pumped about this stuff. The reality of what we're dealing with here is becoming increasingly intense to me. And uh, I'm just becoming aware of the reality of the spiritual world, and it's exciting to me. I'm beginning to learn some things about myself. Um, I learned this week why God so often wakes me up and, and why I can't sleep from 1 to 5 in the morning sometimes. I get this burden to pray and to talk with the Lord and I get ideas. My best ideas come at 3 in the morning. And I wonder why that is. And the answer I found this week is because I don't listen any other time. <laughs> the Lord thinks, once you get going, you're a lost cause. You're just hyper this, hyper that. But at 1 in the morning, what are you going to do? You know. And so, and boy, I hope I learn this lesson sometime. But it's been phenomenal. I mean... My wife can't understand it, and I can't understand it. I, I don't think it's possible to live physically on 
two or three or four hours sleep on a regular basis. But I've been doing that for about six months. Now, I, two weeks ago, I started getting like seven hours sleep. And I went a whole week like that. And I thought, well, okay, the time's over with. And now I'm going to go back to normal. But then this last week's been this mega middle-of-the-night prayer trip. And it's been exciting. And the thing is, is that I'm not tired. Do I look tired to anybody? Do I sound tired to anybody? I'm not tired. I don't get tired. And it's making Shelly kind of angry because she gets eight hours and she's still tired. And she says, how come you get two hours and you're hyper and I get eight and I'm tired? Doesn't, there's no rhyme or reason to this. But it's just the way with what God's been dealing with me. One of the things that happened to me this last week, Friday night about 3 in the morning, 3.30 I guess it was, is that the Lord put a veto on my message I was going to preach. And I hope that you're okay with that. I, 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 I hope that you're okay. You've got to be okay with, with, with saying, look, at, obey, obeying God and going by His schedule is more important than going by our own schedule. And, uh, in fact, the fact that I'm preaching what I want to preach this morning is, indic- is kind of an illustration of what I want to preach because the word that I, I, I really feel I got from the Lord at, on Friday at 3.30 in the morning is obedience. Obedience. And the, the real inclination I got, the, the sense that I have was that, and I don't know why, but the thing that I wanted to talk about, to continue this talk about the belt of truth, the timing wasn't right. And I just had that sense the Lord was saying, it won't fly. It's not going to land. It won't have the energy and the anointing that it's supposed to have. Wait a little bit. You haven't laid the foundation fully yet. I said, well, what are you talking about? I laid a really good foundation. Three weeks. So fun to argue with God. He goes, no, I want you to lay it again. And so uh, I, what I want to say here is in some ways, foundation laying. If, if we put this together in a tape series, or when we put it together in a tape series, this sermon should come before last week's sermon. So if you're listening to this on a tape a year from now, uh, then stop. Wait. No, no. If you're listening to last week's a year from now, stop and listen to this one. But by then it'll be too late. Till it... <coughs> that was genius, wasn't it? Hey, I'm not getting more than three hours of sleep a night. What do you expect? That's the nice thing. Is you always have an excuse. Hey, I'm not sleeping. What are you? All right. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read that, and then I'm going to turn to another verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10. And we'll stop at verse 12 this morning. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, his devices, his crafty, subversive ways. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Uh-uh. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces, those forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Another verse that I've been thinking about for about three weeks, and, and um, I, I had Mary put it in the bulletin because I thought I just might be getting to it, and it turns out to be the main thing that I want to talk about this morning. It's found in Second Samuel chapter 5. It's one of these verses that if you... that we... Reading the Bible with our Western mindset, our Western naturalistic grid, we would normally miss this. I've always missed this until three weeks ago, and then I got it. It also jumped out at me as a very, very significant passage of Scripture. Here's what it says, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 22. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So the Philistines are this ungodly group of people that were always hindering what God wanted to do with Israel. God was fighting on behalf of Israel because Israel played and yet plays a central role in God's plan for all of world history. 
So God is fighting on the side of the Israelites. But the Philistines came up and they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. David, so far as we can tell at this point, is between the ages of 14 and 16 years old. We don't know for sure, but he's a very young kid. He just slayed Goliath. And as a new king, he just routed the Philistines. You could understand why this kid might get kind of cocky and say, here, here they come again, let's do it again. But he stops and he inquires of the Lord. What do you want us to do, Lord? What, what do you want us to do? So the Lord says, do not go straight up. Don't go ahead into this, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. Think, you know, kid David, you know those balsam trees over yonder? I want you to go around back and circle around and that's where you're going to get them. Now listen to this. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees. Who's marching on the top of the balsam trees? It ain't David, sorry, I'll tell you that. Oh, falling on the ground, getting hurt, breaking legs. No, as soon as you hear the sound, listen, hear the sound of God's army marching on the tops of these balsam trees. Move quickly, that's your sign. Move quickly, because that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike down the Philistine army. When you hear my army marching, then you go. You follow my army's marching orders. So David did just as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Let's pray. Father, God, I, I, I pray, God, that you just, um, right here, give me uh, succinctness and clarity. God, I, I've got so much on my head and heart that it feels, God, it, it's, it's going to be hard to zero in. But you did it in the first service, and Lord, I'm trusting you to do it again in this, Lord. God, I know that you want an army. You want an army, and that's hard for us to believe, but you want an army, and, and Lord, you're going to get one. And God, I pray that you'd use this message with your anointing, with your word, with your spirit circling the whole place to do it, Lord. And I pray, God, even right now, that as, I'm, uh, as, as, as the word's going forth, there would be angels of protection stationed around this place and if need be on our ears so the enemy couldn't twist anything I'm saying and distort it and screw us up. Because we're not ignorant of his devices and he always uses religion to screw people up. So Lord, we just ask that you'd be our warrior as the message goes forth. And help us to see what you want us to see and to act and respond in the way you want us to act and respond. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's only three things I want us to get out of this passage here this morning. And again, it's kind of foundation length. Some new stuff, but, but most of it's just stuff that I feel like the Lord's saying we haven't quite got it yet. We really need to savor this. Hover over this. Don't rush this. Think about this for a while longer. Three things. The first thing is this. The battle that David was involved in, and, and it's, it's like the battle that we are in most of the time, was being fought on two distinct planes, if you will. Two distinct dimensions. There was the natural dimension and there was a supernatural dimension. From one perspective, from the earthly perspective, from the natural perspective, it looked like this was a battle, like any kind of battle. It looked like a normal battle. It looked like it was horse against horse, man against man, king against king. And whoever had the most power, whoever had the most brains, whoever had the most horses, etc., etc., was going to win. It looked on a natural level just like that. The kind of battle that is fought all the time back in the ancient world. Just like most of our battles look like normal marriage battles. They look like normal, normal. we don't fight Philistines anymore, but we fight a lot of other things that are Philistine-like. 
The enemy uses those, but they look like natural battles. But what no one understood except for David, because David got the perspective. God opened up David's eyes and ears to hear and to see what he needed to, to hear and see. What no one understood was that there was another battle going on at the same time that really was more important and was decisive for determining the battle down here on earth. God gave David the kind of perspective that Daniel had. In Daniel chapter 10, when he gets a peek behind the scene and he sees this warfare going on over Persia, or the kind of perspective that Elijah's servant had in 2 Kings chapter 6, where the servant's eyes was opened up and he saw the chariots of God all around him. I don't know how many, how many angels God's got, but it's a mighty, mighty army. Daniel chapter 7 tells us that the number of angels that attend to the Lord, just His servants around, around His throne, is 10,000 times 10,000. How much is 10,000 times 10,000? It's more than a million, isn't it? A whole lot of angels going on. I'm not very good at math, but it's a lot of angels. 10,000, 10, and those are just the ones around the throne. Now, His army is probably bigger than that. Probably that marching must have been on the heavy march in there. Loud marching. But in the natural, we don't see that. In the natural, we don't hear that. In the natural, we're normally not cognizant of that. Only David, like Elijah's servant, like Daniel, had a perspective on that. The Bible tells us this, that to the natural mind, the carnal mind, the normal earthly mind of a normal human being, the things of God, the things in the spiritual realm are complete nonsense. Romans chapter 8 tells us that the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. Spiritual things are opaque to them. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking that I'm just totally 100% certified flaco. And that's okay, a lot of believers think that too. But you're thinking it because of what I'm talking about. The natural mind can't understand the things of God. It doesn't see this stuff. You can't usually see and hear angels with the natural mind, the natural ear, and the natural thinking. The trouble is that we have in our culture, as we've said before, is that our culture indoctrinates us. Through a million different means, it teaches us, it indoctrinates us to trust the natural mind and to never see beyond the natural mind. It's like being taught to look at those 3D magic eye pictures and being taught not to see three-dimensional. Now, it's hard not to see it, even if you're looking for it. We're taught not even to look for it. We're taught it's not even there. We're taught the spiritual realm, the angelic realm, we're conditioned to believe that that's not really real. What's real? And you can believe theoretically in that kind of garbage if you want, but what's real is the physical here, now, nitty-gritty stuff. And so even believers think like in the natural. We see in the natural. We hear in the natural. But because we don't see it, with our natural eyes and hear with our natural ears does not mean, and hear me on this, it doesn't mean that it's not important. In fact, what we learned in this century through science, and we learned it in any century, is this. We don't see most of reality, and it's what we don't see that's more important than what we do see. Follow me in this. That's even true on a scientific level. Barry Jass, uh, in fact, the whole Jass family, but Barry Jass is the one I was talking to, uh, last year, the last couple of months, was feeling sick all the time. Always feeling sick. Come to office and office uh, meeting we have once a week and he's saying I'm feeling lousy he was losing weight couldn't eat he was looking terrible he's never good looking anyways but he was looking even worse <laughs> he's not here so I can go ahead and pick on him so he was looking bad and we went to the doctor couldn't figure out what was wrong well Cheryl a couple months ago two months ago I guess it was his wife got an idea I think an angel put it in her mind the Lord put it in her mind and she, she just wanted to go out all of a sudden and get a carbon monoxide detector 
went out and got a carbon monoxide detector and put that thing up. It wasn't too long before that beeper went off. Beep, 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 beep. And they had in their house about five times the minimal safety amount of carbon monoxide. And they were told that, that if that had gone on for too long, it could be that they would have went to bed one night and not woken up and they would have been dead. The dangerous thing about carbon monoxide is that you can't see it usually, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, but it's there. Like radio waves, we can't see them, but they're there. Like germs, we don't see germs, but we know that they're there. Or ultraviolet rays, we don't see them, but we know that they're there. And sometimes what you don't see can kill you if you're ignorant of it. Well, the Bible says don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. You can't see them in the natural, but you better be aware of it. If you are distrusting your senses when it comes to carbon monoxide, you'll never check the, fur- check the furnace. Their furnace was leaking. That's how they got the stuff in their house. You'll never check the furnace, and it might kill you. If you are totally ignorant of germs, you might just keep on getting sick and stuff because you never wash your hands. You drink out of other people's glasses. You brush with their toothbrush. And who knows what else you do that you wouldn't do if you knew about germs. You wonder, why am I always sick? I'm always sick. I always got, well, maybe you shouldn't eat the gum you find on the bottom of the seat when you come to church or something. And if you know, if you're ignorant of, of ultraviolet rays, you might get skin cancer. You'll go out, you'll burn, and what, whatever. And here's what the Lord would have us to see, and this is what the, what, what the, the punch is here, is that if, if we don't, if we are not aware of the angels marching on the balsam trees. If we're not aware of that dimension, if we're not aware of the spiritual warfare that is taking place all around us, not just theoretically, but I mean personally, I mean if that isn't something that, that hits us where we're at, if that's not something that alters our behavior, then we're never going to put on the armor of God any more than we would ever worry about carbon monoxide if we didn't have a detector. We're never going to become the warriors that God wants us to become. We're never going to put on the belt of truth. We're never going to pick up the shield of faith. We're never going to go into battle. That's one of the reasons why the church and the Western culture has been so impotent in doing spiritual warfare and in changing our culture is that we've been thinking and operating, acting and preaching and healing and trying to do all that stuff in the natural. We instinctively, I instinctively, treat my problems like simply natural problems. We handle our marriage problems and our finance problems and our health problems and our emotional problems and our spiritual problems and our kid problems in a natural way. Now, you've got to deal with the natural. Even though God fought against the Philistines, David had to go out and fight the Philistines. And I worry about people who say, well, I'm just going to trust Jesus and he'll take care of my marriage. In the meantime, they're out partying four nights a week or something like that. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. But our fight is usually in flesh and blood. Do not run away from flesh and blood. You've got to treat things on two levels. There is a natural Philistine army you've got to fight. David just couldn't hang out in the balsam trees and say, I'm going to enjoy the shade here, and I'm going to trust Jesus to do the fighting for me. Hallelujah. No, 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 no. God says, but he said this to Joshua one time, get up off the ground. What do you think you're doing sitting there? You've got business to take care of. God wants to take care of it, but he'll take care of it through you. And so do what you've got to do in the natural to take care of the problem. Get a counseling for the marriage. Deal with the kids. Read the book. Go to the parent classes or whatever you've got to do to take care of the problem. But at the same time, you've got to know this. The problem often, for believers, is not only natural. It's also spiritual. And very frequently, you are not going to get victory over the thing in your life that you're battling against. 
You're not going to get victory until you start taking that warfare seriously. Until you start washing your hands of the germs, you're going to constantly be sick. Until you find out about the carbon monoxide, you're going to be feeling nauseous. Until you find out about sunscreen, you're going to be getting burned. And until you find out about spiritual warfare, you're going to constantly be given into, fallen into the enemy's devices. What God is just saying to us in a million different ways is wake up. Wake up, you guys. Wake up, you guys. There's a battle going on, and you've got to be aware of it. You've got to have your ears turned towards it. You've got to be shooting arrows in that direction. Let me give you an illustration of this. A little footnote here. When I give illustrations, I intentionally doctor them up a little bit so that if you think you know who I'm talking about, I assure you you don't know who I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm going to change the names and the faces and some of the details so you don't know who I'm talking about. I still get permission to use these illustrations. But there's a person that I talked to last week who was having some trouble with their son. Their son just turned 15 and hit the 15-year-old wall in a serious way. And the relationship is breaking down. Uh, the communication is breaking down. The kids beginning to act out a little bit. There's an attitude problem that you wouldn't believe. Now, you've got to deal with that in the natural. You've got to keep on reaching out to the kid. You've got to keep on I'm reading books on how to deal with that. Go to the parenting classes. Go to family counseling. Do whatever you've got to do. Maybe you've got to get Prozac for the kid. I don't know. Deal with the flesh and blood. Hey, deal with the flesh and blood. I'm serious. People sometimes need to count. They have a chemical imbalance. That's flesh and blood. Deal with the flesh and blood. You take aspirin for headaches, same thing. It wasn't meant to be that funny. Stop it. Hey, I'm on Prozac. Knock it off. That's why I can't sleep at night. Where was I? Okay. This guy was having some serious problems. Okay, so I talked with him. He dealt with the flesh and blood stuff, and it wasn't going anywhere. So we, I just said this. Look, why don't you get a couple people? You've got like five people in your life that are really close to you that, that, that you can lean on, that, who will, will stick to their word towards you. And he goes, yeah, I think so. To so get five people in your life to pray. Five, find five people to pray for you. And zero in on that son of yours and have them covenant with you to pray every day for that son for two weeks. Let's just see what happens. Let's just bump up. Let's, let's shoot in that direction well. So the night the person tells me, best day they've had in about six months with their son. And now they tell me this week that things have gone better than they've gone for about six months. The communication's starting to, to uh, get better. You've still got some issues there. You've still got to deal with flesh and blood stuff. But something has lifted. What a neat coincidence. Isn't it just such an interesting coincidence? You see, the thing is, we fight in flesh and blood. You've got to deal with flesh and blood. Be practical as all get out. Yes. You've got financial problems. Don't blame that on the devil. Balance your checkbook. Get a financial advisor if you have to. But the enemy can use that to bring about all sorts of anxiety and other kind of problems in your life. And you've got to shoot in that direction too. What I always say is that shoot, shoot with double barrels. You've got any kind of problem. Marriage problem, kid problem, financial problem, dysphobia problem, I don't know. Shoot in two different directions. You shoot at the natural stuff, deal with that in a real serious way. But at the same time, start, start deflecting the arrow. Start doing the warfare stuff. Start praying. God, if there is anything in this place, anything in my life that is, any spirit that's hassling me, Lord, come against it in Jesus' name. Do not be ignorant of the enemy's schemes, the Lord is saying. Second thing we've got to learn from this passage. We've got to learn a lot faster than we learned the first thing. Is <laughs> this, David stopped and he inquired of the Lord. He stopped and he inquired of the Lord. David, as I said earlier, could have easily, it would be understandable if he didn't stop and inquire of the Lord because he just had kicked the Philistine's tail and, 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 and he was a young kid and he was a new king and it might have just shown off his strength he had these guys on the run. He could have just pursued them and said, you know what, we're just going to slaughter these people. But David was a godly man, so he said, you know what, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to ask for permission first. Lord, what do you think? 
What do you want to do? Well, it turns out the Lord told him to do something a little different. He says, I know that you want to flex your muscle and go head on with these people because you know you can lick them. Don't do it. I want you to circle around back. Let them fall some trees. Wait, wait patiently until you hear the sound of my army marching in the trees. And then you go. David inquired of the Lord. What would happen, I wonder, if David hadn't? We, don't, we can't answer that question. But I doubt it would have turned out as good as it turned out when David did listen to the Lord. Because, see, there was a strategy that we know nothing about, a strategy that's going on in the heavenly realms that we are totally incognizant of, but yet it affects our life. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, knows that strategy and will tell us if we'll listen to Him. There was a time, let me just turn to this. This is another one of those bizarre passages that we Westerners normally wouldn't notice, but, but, but it's, it's uh, the biblical worldview is just a different worldview than we have. But, but, but look at this one. The Israelites were fighting the Moabites at one point. They had routed the, the, the Moabites. They had just, they just done them in. And so they were chasing the Moabites. Now you don't read here about anyone seeking the Lord, inquiring of the Lord, trying to get a word from the Lord. None of that. They're just saying, yo, let's go get the Moabites. And so they're chasing the Moabites. And they're just having a field day. They're probably laughing all the way. Notice what happened here. This is in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 26. When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him, sorry for spitting, took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom. He's going to try to get the king of Edom on his side, but he said, that failed too. This guy was a total loser. Things are going very, very bad. He's running from the Israelites, and now he's running from the Edomites. But then it says this, verse 27. You see, the Moabites were with this very, very wicked people, and they worshipped this wicked god named Chemosh, a demon. A very powerful god. We read about him in other places in the Old Testament. And then he took his firstborn son, the one that was to succeed him as the king, and he offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. The author is assuming... If the reader understands that the fury of Chemosh. Now look, I don't understand a lot of this stuff, okay? But apparently, just like prayer, kind of prayer gets things done on a spiritual side, on on fed of God. There's satanic prayers and demonic prayers and sacrifices, and in some bizarre way, Chemosh feeds on little kids' sacrifice to him. And somehow, and I don't understand this, but that, as it were, fed his fury. The Israelites didn't know a thing about this. They don't know Chemosh from from. Gabriel, they're not into that. They're just interested in flexing their muscle and doing this battle. So they walked right into this. Chemosh has a field day with them. And even though they should have and could have won this battle, they got their tails whipped because they didn't know the strategy going on in the spiritual realm. And so it is with us. There's got to be a time when we stop and inquire of the Lord. There's got to be, as a regular part of our life, a time when we listen to God, discern what God wants us to do. The trouble with me and probably the trouble with you is this. Most of what I do is what I want to do. Most of what I think, most of what I say, most of what I preach, most of what I buy, most of what I spend is what I want to think and preach and say and spend and all the other things I just said. We are functional, as one author said, we are functional atheists very frequently. That is to say, if God would have died on Friday night, our Saturday wouldn't have been any different than it actually was. What did I do on Saturday that I wouldn't have done if Jesus Christ had disappeared? And if the answer to that is nothing, you've got to ask this serious question. What does it mean on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis to say that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life? 
Because as a matter of fact, I'm very much Lord of my own life and I'm doing quite well at that. Thank you very much. You see, where does the rubber hit the road in our confession of lordship? And that is why I believe that very frequently we in the West, and this is changing, thank God, but so often the church is impotent. Christians feel like they're empty. They don't walk in the anointing. They don't walk in the power. They don't walk with the Spirit there. They, they don't walk doing spiritual warfare. Their Christianity is sort of a theor- theoretical, abstract, fluffy sort of thing. It's a church religion kind of a thing. But it lacks New Testament kind of bite to it. You know what I mean? It lacks New Testament radicality. The reason is because we're, we're saved, we're children of God, but we're lords of our own life. What the Lord would be saying to us here is there needs to be a time where we listen, where you, you, you let God tell you to go outside of your own comfort zone, where you begin to do stuff you wouldn't, on your own thinking, in the natural, be inclined to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says this, an incredible verse. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, The good soldier of Jesus Christ does not become overly involved in civilian affairs, but always has... Or is always seeking to please their captain. Picture this. You're, in, you're a soldier. You're stationed in occupied territory, in enemy-occupied territory. The Lord is saying, don't, don't get overly involved in the politics of this country. It's not your country. Don't get overly involved in the entertainment of this country. There's a war going on. Don't get overly involved in civilian affairs. Don't ever turn your radio receptor off. I just might need to call you. I may need to talk to you. The good soldier does not get preoccupied, doesn't forget that you're at war, doesn't forget that you're stationed in a foreign land, but always has your ear like this. Always is saying, Captain, what do you want me to do now? There's a war going on, you know, and I, I, I am yours. What is your word? How, how would you have me to act in this situation? Believers, we're not supposed to be at home in this world, are we? We are foreigners here, the Bible says. We are in enemy-occupied territory. We are supposed to be, get this, we're, to, we're supposed to be guerrilla warriors. We're supposed to be taking over this enemy empire. Don't tell anyone on the outside because they'll get paranoid, but we're supposed to take over the world. We're supposed to take over the world. Amen! We're the warriors. And what that means is this. Deal with flesh and blood. Your battle is in flesh and blood. Be practical. Don't get flaky on me here. And if you don't get flaky, don't blame it on me. But at the same time, at the same time, we've got to have our ear turned to the captain. And be, be, be willing to let him order us around. If he says, Greg, I vetoed that servant. Here's what I want you to do. We've got to be willing to do that. If the Lord says, go over and pray with somebody, he may not tell us why. He didn't tell David why it was so important about the balsam trees. We don't know. There's some kind of spiritual war going over there, and that's where we want him to hang out. But the Lord just says, go over and meet somebody. Go over and pray with somebody. The Lord wants people to say yes to that. If the Lord says, get out of bed at 1 in the morning, you get out of bed at 1 in the morning. The Lord says, pray, and you don't know what to pray for. You just pray. He'll direct your prayer to where it's supposed to be going, and that is where Christianity begins to come alive. That's when it begins to take that's when the lifeblood begins to flow through you because God will give you the artillery necessary to do the battle you're called to, but He won't give any more than that. You want to, and, and see, the artillery is the gift, and the gift is the blessing. You want to be blessed? Get into warfare. Get into warfare. The final thing, though, the third thing is this, and I'll close with this. This is my first closing. The thing is this. How do you listen? And I, we got to talk more about this. we got to talk more about this. This is what the Lord is saying. You know, you can, you can talk about all this stuff, but, 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 but if people don't understand what you're saying, then, then it's not going to land right. How do you listen to God? Maybe some of you are out there, like I, I say, God talked to me on Friday night. What was it, like a Wizard of Oz voice? You know, 
God talks to you, you know. And, and see, the problem is that there's a lot of people that God talks to you to go to McDonald's and gun people down, you know. And so they think, well, look at it. If that's, if that, people who think that God talks to them are a little loony. <laughs> and, and so then what happens is we, we shut out all talk. Look at it. Do not let, do not let the wackos destroy, it, destroy the genuine. Whatever there's a genuine thing, you'll find a counterfeit. You don't find people making counterfeit $3 bills because there aren't any real ones, you know. If there's a counterfeit out there, you can rest assured that there's a real one. There are flaky people, de- demon people who say God talks to them. You expect that because the enemy has to counterfeit it. Why? Because there's a real voice of God. God wants to talk to us. But it's hard for us Westerners to understand. I was talking to my daughter the other night. One o'clock in the morning, she wasn't sleeping. I'm never sleeping, so we had a little conversation. She, so she said, Dad, I'm bored. And there's no one to call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what the phone is for. It's entertainment. And, uh, and so I, being a corny father, you know, said, well, why don't you give a little phone call to Jesus? <laughs> and, you know, get on the spiritual phone and call Jesus. Uh, yeah, it was really corny. Jesus on the main line, tell him what. You heard that song? But she said, Dad, I, you tell me to do that all the time, and I do it. But you know what? He never talks back. And I'd like to have someone talk back. Well, only conversations get old. And see, she's, she's going to be a theologian when she grows up. She doesn't know it yet. Don't tell her either. She'll get mad at me. But, but she, I think she's going to be a theologian. She's just very honest. And, and, and not that all theologians are honest. But, but I, I, she asked the right question. But here's the thing. Let me just close with this. We need to talk more about it. But, but here's the thing. Very rarely does God ever speak audibly to people in the Bible or today. Once in a while it happens. There are people who insist that they can hear angels in this place, physically hear angels, sometimes during worship service. Uh, and in fact, I think I've heard them a couple times too. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to admit that. Uh, but, but yeah, there's, there's a sense of, you know, sometimes you hear that. Sometimes you can hear it. But usually it's not like that. Usually it's not like that. Usually it's an inner voice. You know, we, we, we read a lot in the Bible about people seeing visions. The word for vision is the same word as dream. It's the word dream. It's just, it's, a vision is a dream when you awake. But dreams are in here. Dreams are in the mind. What the Bible calls the inner man or the spirit. What we today would call our, our, our mind or our imagination. And here's the thing. We're taught by our culture to just assume that everything that goes on in our head is our own doing. But if you believe that lie, then you've just shut off the main way that God's going to talk to you. I'll leave you with this as our worship team gets ready to come, because we're going to sing a closing warfare hymn here that I love. But, but, but I, I'll leave you with this. We'll pick it up later at some point. But just begin to pay attention to when you pray, what pictures does God give you? Begin to act on them. What words, what do you hear? Begin to act on them. Or, or what impressions do you have? Even now as you're walking out of this place today, begin to learn to pay attention to what's going on inside you. That's where God talks. And if you get an impression or you just feel a message about going over and meeting somebody, do it! Now, maybe it will be you and it won't be God. What harm is done? But you might just find out that that person, the kingdom of God is built together by coincidences where you, 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 do, you move out of your comfort zone, you do, you do something you wouldn't otherwise do, and bam, it, all of a sudden it hits. It was the right thing that went on. That's how God builds His kingdom. But you'll never experience that unless you start moving out of your comfort zone. Begin to pay attention to that. And eventually you begin to be able to discern what is just your own thinking? What is God's thinking? What is God thinking? The Bible says, worship team, come on out here. I mean, I'm getting ready to close. <laughs> uh, the Bible says, my sheep will hear my voice. And see what's happened here for a lot of reasons. 
is that we've got a bunch of sheep, but they don't hear the voice. We, can't, we, we forgot how to hear it. We've got to relearn that. Throughout the day, be, be living your life like this. On Monday morning, living like this. And when you hear a whisper, I challenge you to act on it. If it bears kingdom fruit, where's the worship team? Hey! Uh, we're taking applications for a uh, worship team there. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm the one who be, look at sleeping back there. I'm the one who retired now. They're, they're probably intercessing for me. Begin to act on that. Begin to act on that. I want to close by just doing this. Rem- rem- let's remind ourselves that this battle is not ours. It's, flesh, it's not flesh and blood. It's, it's uh, principalities and powers, and God's the one who goes before us and fights the battle. Martin Luther was a man who, who wrestled a lot with the enemy. And he wrote this hymn called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We are soldiers in Christ Jesus. And wherever we walk, wherever we go, and even right now in this place, we are surrounded by a fortress of God. And I want us to sing that. Try that in, in your heart, in your inner man. Picture what you're singing about. These lyrics are anointed lyrics. And let's end with an in-your-face to the devil proclamation about God being our fortress, the security we have in God. Let's sing it out to him. A mighty fortress is our God.